right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. This is episode 333. It's like a long plane record. Uh, with that number, we're going to give a shout out to midfielder Joanna Lohman. She played 6,333 minutes over six NWSL regular seasons. She played the first two seasons of the league with the Boston Breakers, and then the next four with the Washington Spirit. Lohman retired after the 2018 season, and the Spirit then retired her number 15 jersey. She's one of a very small group of players who have had their NWSL jersey number retired. So two chats today, but both with Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer. So we broke it up into two parts. Part one, looking back at 2021 for NWSL, not going through all of the the drama that we've had this season, but just looking at some highlights, um, the good things about 2021. And then part two is looking forward, expansion draft, college draft, new coaches, new clubs, and as always, our complaints and wishes uh, for the future. Now, note that we did record these chats before the Samuels trade to Kansas City was announced. So when we're talking expansion, a little bit of that will be off. And of course, the Jen Splainer segment, this episode will review the expansion draft rules. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Keeper Notes and also at MixZone. And that is M-I-X-X-E-D Zone. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with my favorite soccer podcasting partner. And of course, that would have to be old man, Dan Laletta, who's not that old. But sometimes we feel old, Dan, right? Because we've been talking about this soccer stuff forever, this woman's soccer stuff forever. And every time I go to an end of a final, I, I remind myself that you've been to more than I have and that most of the people around us have been to very, very few. Well, and it's 20 years now since my first one back in... 2001 and you know I remember when a fellow uh, person in the soccer world was complaining to me because they got injured and told me that it was difficult turning 25 and that your body wasn't <laughs> holding up this was about a year or two ago so you know I that does make me feel a little bit old I'm definitely I'm definitely whoa so old I and mean, maybe I'm not old like, yeah that's a that's a good way to describe it we're we're whoa so old but but we're loving it and we've got many Woso years to come. And of course, I wanted to talk about, wanted to do a nice long podcast chat, really two chats with you to kind of go over this this Woso year, which has been, I would say, the most dramatic, most trying, and but probably down the line, the most important year for women's pro soccer in this country. Well, important is an interesting way to look at it. And uh, I don't know, is it dramatic or traumatic? But it has certainly been... An interesting year. You know, I I can think back to New Year's Eve last year when the calendar turned away from 2020 and everyone just wanted to get rid of 2020. Right. I would I would say more bad things happened in certainly in the NWSL in 2021 than they did in 2020, although the league did a real nice job getting in the Challenge Cup and the regular season and the playoffs and off without a hitch. We even had that little couple of week bubble there where we actually had playoff soccer and we got to talk about soccer and the sidebar was about 
Carly Lloyd leaving and retiring and Mark Parsons leaving and going over to Europe. Uh, but then it lasted for what, I guess, 32 hours or so after the final whistle when the Red Stars put out that bizarre release and we get right back, uh, you know, in, you know, right back from dramatic to traumatic, I guess, with Rory Dames leaving kind of abruptly. And then we found out why the next day. But uh, it's certainly one to remember, but also one that I think most people hope we never repeat again. Truly, truly. So let's let's do a look back at this season and we're not going to go into all of the the traumatic issues. But I do want to focus on there were some highlights right? Especially among some of the younger players, you know, we did get, you know, up to 10 teams again, right? Like we hadn't been at 10 teams for a couple of years. We're back at 10 teams. I think, you know, Louisville, you know, had a great inaugural year. Um, You know, so let's, let's look back. Um, I mean, when, when you think of the 2021 regular season as a whole, what, what names jump out to you as like, wow, what a year. Good pronunciation, by the way, of Louisville. <laughs> and you and I got turned on to that by Mike Watts doing the broadcast with us. But being yes. in the city, you really kind of get tuned into that. The, the number one name for me easily is Trinity Rodman. Think about if women's soccer were even remotely on par with football, basketball, baseball, how big of a star would Trinity Rodman be? Because she came in, remember her debut in the Challenge Cup, she scored, what, three minutes or so into her debut, and it was a really nice goal, and it was like, wow, this player's got talent. But sometimes you see that, and then like three years later, you're like, oh, well, she's really got a lot of talent. Remember that goal? She scored three minutes into her debut, but it hasn't really kind of picked up from there. But all Trinity Rodman did was get better. And then it looked like maybe she hurt her back, and then she came back, missed maybe a game, came back and was good. And then you're like, all right, well, you know, it's a challenge cup and a 24 game season, you know, maybe she'll get tired because she didn't play in college. And even if you do play in college, this is a longer season than you've been used to ever at any point in your life. And that didn't happen. And then we get into the playoffs and what does she do? She scores the most important goal in the semifinal because they were down after three minutes and they tied it, I think in the 11th or 12th, something like that. So she scored Mm -hmm. that goal, which was a very, I thought underrated goal technically because the ball, it was a long ball over the top and the ball kind of bounced in front of her. And she actually took like a half step back or maybe hesitated a little bit to open up the proper angle to get the shot off. So that tied the game. And then if you go to the final you know, the, an hour into that final, the Spirit were doing nothing. All of a sudden, she hit the woodwork, and then it was the Trinity Rodman show for about the next 30 minutes, including making the pass to set up the foul that led to the penalty, and then making the pass that led to the game-winning goal in extra time to Kelly O'Hara. If she's 19 years old, uh, I, I mean, I cannot tell you how impressed I am with everything that she has done this season. So to me, she is absolutely, I know she wasn't the MVP and she probably shouldn't have been the MVP, but hopefully she was the unanimous rookie of the year. Uh, But she did win the award. I I cannot say enough good things about Trinity Rodman. If you've heard me do broadcast, you're probably already tired of me talking about her, but I think it's completely worth it. And she has literally hit every marker and not, slow down you know this isn't like a half season rookie of the year thing this was from the day one of the challenge cup 
through the NWSL championship. She has just been extraordinary. And I think she would have been MVP of that NWSL championship if it wasn't sponsored by Budweiser and she wasn't uh, not of drinking age. Right. Right. The burdens of the burdens of sponsorship. Exactly. Well, and you know, when you think of all these great things that she did this season, like we're not even factoring in, think of how up and down that franchise was. Yeah, that's so, that, so that, that tells you that, you know, she had a good bunch of players around her, you know, veteran players like Kelly O'Hara, Emily Sonnet, Tori Huster, Aubrey Bledsoe, and also some young players that had the same energy, like, we just want to do well. We don't care what happened in the past. It doesn't matter. You know, let's just focus. Like, it, I feel like we saw, you know, the best Ashley Hatch that we've seen in a while. Yes, I agree. I agree with Hatch. And, you know, she got that goal for the national team in the opening minute against Australia in the first of those two games. And yeah, she Ashley Hatch was great. And I think, you know, I always thought that, was it 2018 when the spirit were just so bad? And uh, yes, I don't know how yes. many in a row they went without winning. And, and they they barely they barely finished higher than Sky Blue. Right, but I thought that right that was the year Sky Blue only won the one game. I thought Ashley right. Hatch was really good that season, but that she's not she's not like an I'm going to take the game over type player. But all of a sudden, you put her with Rodman and Ashley Sanchez and some of the other players. You know, Tara McCown kind of grew into herself as a rookie as the season went on. You know, all of a sudden, that, that you know, there's your Ashley Hatch that wins the Golden Boot. Now, does she win the Golden Boot in most seasons? Yeah, probably not. You know, someone like Lynn Williams probably scores more than that or, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't like I don't think Hatch is the premier goal scorer in the NWSL, but I think she's tremendous. And if you put her in with other good players, uh, then she's outstanding. And I'll tell you one other thing. I thought she changed the tenor of the final, you know, other than Rodman, I thought it was her because she started to check back into the midfield a little bit to win balls. And that sort of also changed that final against the Red Stars. And uh, we asked Chris Ward about that in the post game, And he said, I never mentioned it to her. She did it on her own and that they would have stopped her from doing it, but that she was able to get back, win the balls, distribute them, and then get back in position to accept final passes in the box. So, um, you know, I think I thought an understated performance by Hatch in the final, even though she didn't score. Well, and to your point about the the golden boot race, because I had a friend of mine say it's like 10. It's so low. It's 10. I said, well, let's look back to the last Olympic cycle, you know, that was when we had Kalia Watt and Lynn Williams tie at just 11 goals. Right. Right. And, and Hatch had two fewer games to potentially play in because of the forfeits, which is, you know, even more important, but I think it tells you like when you look at, um, and of course you have to exclude Sam Kerr from all of this, right? Cause she's just the X factor. So you take out Sam Kerr. If you look at the golden boot winners, it's like the numbers are higher when you have a less interrupted season, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing is that the numbers that Sam Kerr were putting up, I don't know that we're going to get on a regular basis. I, you know, I, maybe we should appreciate Sam Kerr and the numbers she put up more now that the Golden Boot winner finished with 10. But to that point, I would expect a number 
it's uh, you know significant. I would expect, let's say, at least three players go over ten, and I would expect the Golden Boot winner to have thirteen or fourteen next season. Yeah, and and I do feel like the Golden Boot race kind of got stymied towards the end when we had all of a sudden you had that second midweek fixture pushed in there after the games were canceled the weekend of October 1st and 2nd, which totally made sense that they were, they were canceled. But I think it kind of threw everybody's schedule um, through, through for a loop. And I, I feel like we saw some, some weird performances and some strange ups like, like those last few weeks. Like I, I think we all thought that um, Gotham would kind of end up hosting maybe at least getting fourth and hosting well, a first right round there. game. Yeah. It was, right it was totally for the taking and, and, and it Kansas didn't happen. City or Louisville. Yeah. In those last few games. And the other thing about the golden boot race is that once we got to that weekend where we didn't have the games after the Paul Riley story came out, it was really difficult. I think to focus on like the finer things of what was going on. Like, you know, yeah, you know, you could tell, all right, the courage were struggling and the, you know, the dash needed one point in their last three to get in the playoffs and couldn't get it. But it was a little, it was difficult to kind of go inside the game um, just because that's not where people's minds were. So I think that really took a little bit away. Uh, from yeah. the Golden race. And to be fair with the, with the number at 10, you know, it would be a lot more exciting if it were, but, between players who were scoring a lot of goals down the stretch. You know, Balser had not – I don't think Balser scored in October, if I'm not mistaken. But I, know I she think, I think you're last, right. The last couple of games. So it wasn't like you were watching it like, oh, Hatch scored again, Balser scored again. It was like, well, this is where we are, and we'll, we'll see if anybody scores. Um, but, yeah, it was good. And, you know, I would like to see a great golden boot race if people can – can get their energy behind, but we'll see if that ever comes to pass. Well, beyond Washington, let's talk about other teams, other players where, you know, you saw something at a new level or a different level. Well, I think one team to look at and a couple of players to look at are Gotham where you have Midge purse and Ifoma on And I didn't realize until a few weeks ago that they actually knew each other growing up. But they were That's cool. Yeah, and they they were first round picks. I remember for the Breakers in 2017, they had four first round picks. It was them two, Rose Lavelle and Morgan Andrews, and that didn't work out. And that was the Breakers last season. And they went their separate ways in the dispersal draft. And Purse kind of found her footing a little sooner than Anamano in Portland. But if you remember, Anamano in 2019 got traded to the Rain came in that playoff game against the Courage and actually scored in the last minute to force extra time. Courage won it four to one in extra time, so you forget that it was wow. a little tense there for a little bit. And they wind up back together with Gotham, and they were tremendous this season. And I'm not going to say that it's addition by subtraction taking Carly Lloyd off of Gotham. And I will also say that Carly Lloyd was one of the very few players on the U.S. Olympic team that came back to the league and played really well. Yeah. But I do feel like by having Carly Lloyd retire that you can really start to build your post-Carly identity and person on a mano now back together after being drafted by the Breakers. I think you could have something really special there with those two. You know, the Red Stars are very interesting because the Red Stars lost Julie Ertz in the first half hour of the season. They never got Nair back after the Olympics. 
you know, whatever's going on with Casey Kruger, she didn't really play down the stretch. You know, Cola Prico was in and out of the lineup. Aaron Wright was in and out of the lineup. Even if you go into the final, um, Di Bernardo goes down in the first 10 minutes. Pugh goes down at late in the first half, doesn't come back Watt out. Watt in the, the semifinal. It's half. just Watt crazy. In the semifinal. And somehow that team was not too far away from lifting the trophy. But now they lose Rory Dames, and I don't know if you want to get into the weeds on that, but one way or another, the guy who built it is not going to be there anymore. And I don't know. Like, do they build off of that? Do they not? Like, they're in a tough spot with the expansion draft because they have a lot of allocated players, and they can only protect one. I think it has to be Pew, which leaves Ertz out there, right? It leaves Kruger out there. It leaves Nayer out there. Um, Gautreau, not allocated, I don't think who had a really no. nice season for them, so so they'd be able to protect her otherwise. So I don't really know what to make of them. I think Kansas City did a lot of good things this season, despite their record I was not, so, not I was so it. impressed with them, their home stretch, uh, that they went undefeated at home. After June 26th, they did not lose at home until that final match where they lost to O.L. Reign in late October. I mean, that's huge for an expansion club, you know, and we saw them improving as the season went on, right? Like, like the record doesn't reflect, I think, the progress that they made. I agree, and they were aggressive in making roster moves. I do think they kind of lacked a center back, which is why I really like San Diego's acquisition of Abby Dalkember, because I think that's a really nice way to kind of start building your roster. I think if KC had a center back or a little bit more, you know, and Corsi's okay, but Corsi was out of the lineup a bit too. I just thought they were like, you know, a fatal mistake would cost them points. It seemed like in every game during the first half of the season. But I also, you know, I think this is, might be the most transitional off season we've ever had though, because go to Portland, right? Dunn is not going to play figure until at the earliest midsummer, right? Possibly right. not for the entire season. You know, there's rumors about Haran going over to Europe, you know, Sinclair, despite what she plays like is not getting any younger. And they didn't exactly play great down the stretch. You know, the rain were great once they figured it out, but Lesa Mayer and Marajan and Buhadi are going back home to play in the Euros. Um, yeah, like like the rain, like it was it was that was a great stretch run when when Laura Harvey came back, but it wasn't a harbinger of what was to come, right? Exactly. It was a, it was a mini rain season into itself, and that's why I thought that them and Portland both had a lot of pressure on them in the semis because the, the, you know we just mentioned the rain, and for Portland, you know they did a really nice job of not making it a big deal that Parsons was leaving, but you know. This human nature, it's got to be difficult to be Mark Parsons in that spot. And you get to the semifinal and all of a sudden, like, wow, this could be my last game. And then all of a sudden, you know, Crystal Dunn is pregnant. She's not available. And then Lindsay Horan apparently gets hit in the eye during practice and she's not available. And things kind of go sideways on them. Um, you know, I think obviously the spirit, whether they had won or not, are the up and coming team because along with Rodman, there's Ashley Sanchez, Ashley Hatch is old in comparison, but she was only rookie of the year in 2017. Their back line is fairly young. Aubrey Bledsoe is tremendous. So I think, 
you know, some comparisons on the spirit to the flash when they had those four first round picks. Yes. You know, that turned into the courage and the first round picks haven't been quite as good. So yet as the, as the four for the flash, but But they have so many more of them when you look at their picks from 2019, 2020 and 2021, the bulk of that roster is still so young, so talented, but already now very experienced. Right. And like the flash, they kind of won ahead of schedule. So can they then, become the flash and, you know, establish something significant. And I do think they are the one team that you can look at where they should bring back a pretty significant core of a very good roster. I think them and Gotham are the two teams right now with the biggest immediate upside. I think the pride of a decent roster, I think I'm going out of order on what you wanted to discuss here. I think the pride of a decent roster, you know, (laughs) McLaren and Peterson and Korniak and whatnot, They've got to figure out, like they've got the young and the old, so they can they can they figure out how to bridge that. But I think things are looking more up there than they have in in some time. And you know, we mentioned Balser before, and Balser was an amazing story when she was rookie of the year in 2019. But I think it might be even a better story that she was able to carry that on to 2021 because you can't be you can't you know it, sometimes it looks like well the ball just came to her and she finished, but you can't be in the right spot at the right time that often by accident. Without so knowing, think, without knowing how to make your runs, when to make your runs. And right, reading, we, reading we've seen game. players with a ball three feet from goal and she's not whiffing. She's not whiffing and she's getting in the, in the right spots. So, you know, it'll be interesting now to see what the rain do to, you know, to replace the, the players heading back to Europe. But, you know, Balser, I think, is a goal scorer in this league for a long time now. Well, and I also like that, you know, we've seen the continuation of the Balser story that she was clearly in contention um, for the Golden Boot, right? Um, you know, again, the leader in scoring for her team and getting another call up to the national team, getting her first cap. Not a lot of minutes in the in the first game against Australia, but like that doing what the league is supposed to be doing is building expanding the pool for the u.s national team and if you're performing at a high level you know you're you're getting that call i also like that you know i think it fleshes out the story that you don't have to be at the school that won the national championship to necessarily have a future in this league right and now we're going to have you know two more teams which means what 52 54 more um you know roster spots that's huge you look at Bethany Balser. And you also look at, you know, we have to give a shout out to Angela Salem, you know, coming out of Francis Marion. I mean, how many people can tell you what state Francis Marion is in or, you know, what conference it's in. And here's someone that, you know, played all three seasons of WPS has played every season of NWSL and has, you know, come back from injury. You know, it was, it was kind of cool to see her get a, get a nomination for, for MVP. halfway out of the league though like even if she had won the Herman and four national titles like her story is pretty great because she went to school and was a part-time player for a little while and then all of a sudden she came back and it, you know you're thinking well she's in the midfield but she's not going to be there the whole season and then she's a finalist for MVP pretty remarkable and, and a player that honestly I think has been underrated for an awful long time and yeah and I hope she's got a couple of more years Left well, let, to, to kind of prove that. 
let's move away from players and teams and let's talk broader strokes about, you know, it was a pretty traumatic year, um, very transitional <laughs> year. And it will continue yeah. to be a transitional off season. But I feel like there were some good things to come out of this season that, you know, we should give a little shout out to, right? Because there's been so much uh, of the frustrating things. I'm so glad, even though it, it had to get moved to Louisville, I'm so glad the final was in Louisville. That's where it would have been in 2020. It's a new stadium. It's a new club. They did everything right. There was a nice big Friday free event for fans. Um, the The city was so welcoming. It was easy to get wherever you needed to go. You know, like that, that's, it, it seemed more of a destination than it has seemed in the past. There's still a lot that you and I have talked about this in the past that, you know, we'd love this game to be named, you know, so it's, you know, so we're not just randomly calling it an result championship, right? That it's got some, some catchier many, name. Which is too many syllables regardless. Yeah. And that it's announced much further in advance. And, you know, I know that TV, you know, restricted it to, to what the kickoff was, but, you know, I'm hoping down the line we'll have a a later kickoff or maybe a Sunday game, uh, you know, so that you can build a whole weekend of events. Right. So it's not all smushed into that Friday night, you know, but for maybe someone who, who can only come in Friday night or Saturday morning, there's like some kind of Saturday event or a film festival, or, you know, that there's other things that it really becomes, a destination for, for women's soccer. You know, there's so much that can be built around that, but I was really pleased, so pleased with the experience in Louisville and, you know, they, they, you know, should feel good that that was the biggest attendance for an NWSL final outside of Portland. Right. One of those two was the Portland home game. I'm sure it would have beaten the number anyway, but that, yeah, you know, that was, but it beat out, what they got in North Carolina, right? And they were the host team mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for that game. And and that was expected. You know, they were the best team in the league that season. A um, couple things. The event that you talked about was nice. Uh, it was a little chilly. Uh, and I'm, I'm understating that. So we can figure <laughs> that out down the road. Um, but, yeah, it was nice to have it. And it was free. You could walk right in. It was, you know, there was – you know, there was nothing to it. And now, look, part of the reason that so many people were there was that it was a drive from Chicago. And I talked to several people that came from Chicago only at the last minute. So I'm sure there were a lot more. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it wouldn't have been good attendance anyway. But the Chicago thing helped. But we've been talking about this since this began, or certainly since they started going to neutral site. And I feel like usually we're shouting into the void. I feel like more people this year, I feel like people who were there this year saw enough of a glimpse of what it could be that there were more people now shouting, of, hey, if we just knew about this in March or April, imagine what a big event it could be. Because I was stunned when I heard the numbers of tickets sold. And I guess I picked it up when it was like 8,500 because it was six weeks in advance. It didn't seem like a big push. But it was, you know, but it was steady. Sat. Every time I saw a number update, and Louisville was doing a good job of tweeting that, it's like 5,000, 5,500, it, it was like a right. really steady progress, right? And now, if it had had more promo and further out, yeah. Right, and, and, you, and there's a lot of other things you can do to attract people there. But also, remember, most of these six weeks were right smack in the middle of Paul Riley getting fired after the Athletic article, and you know we're 
mostly watching players standing around the center circle in the six minute of games or before kickoff. I don't think people were like, oh, yeah, all that happened. Let me fly to Louisville for this game. So it wasn't like they had even the ideal six-week lead-up to the game. So, yeah, I mean, again, I know that stadium availability is problematic and whatnot, but there are also – um, mail all the more windows. Reason, all the more reason to plan way ahead. Absolutely, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, like, and the MLS playoffs are a hot mess, right? Because of, there's FIFA windows, yeah, baked into this time of the year. So if you figure out, hey, there's a there's a male FIFA window where we're not, we know that we're not going to be using any MLS stadiums. Exactly. Why isn't that the weekend of the final? every year at this point, you know, whatever right. it is in November. And I think, I guess there were MLS playoffs would have had to be the weekend before, but you know, regardless, you're not going to get, you know, you're going to be able to use Red Bull and you're going to be able to use, you know, Bank of America or Exploria or whatever they're calling the stadium down in Houston nowadays. I forget the new name, but you know, that, it makes just too much sense to just pick that FIFA window. And that's when your final is every year. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's planning ahead and looking at all the factors. I mean, like you and I both remember the 2017 final in Orlando where they clearly hadn't looked at what else was in the city because there was the Pride Festival and a Bruno Mars con- uh, concert. So it was yep. it was insane. Yep. You and know. you're also, you know, maybe I don't know how much the audiences overlap, but if it's a FIFA window, you're not going to be competing with MLS either. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and and it's hard it's hard to fathom sometimes but you know, uh Kansas City when they build their stadium, that will be the first stadium where they are the controlling tenant, right? We do have several NWL teams that are technically, you know, the home team in their venue, but they're still not the controlling tenant, right? Like Dynamo controls it over Dash, Timbers before Thorns city before right. pride right and they have the same they all have the same owner so i don't know yeah i guess the owners could pull rank on it but i still think mls probably takes priority well, and, 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 and mls owner. schedules yeah mls schedules schedules in, in advance so yeah, yeah it's it's all it's all about planning ahead i mean like i i think it's a little odd that here we are you know with less than what a month left in 2021 and we don't know the plan for 2022 schedule wise we don't know if they're taking the month of july off because that's when Concacaf and a lot of other world cup qualifying is we don't know how call it um how challenge cup will be handled if it'll be preseason or you know you could do it during that window we don't have any of that this time last year we actually got that press release that said hey you know, here's here's the tentative schedule for the season, right? At least giving us the high points of Challenge Cup starts right. here, regular season starts here. And that was the probably season will last this long. Because they didn't have a season last year to either distract them or they knew they had to get people's attention back. But meanwhile, yeah. MLS was, was not even down to their last four until Tuesday night this week. They already have their home openers announced for 2022. So it already yeah. feels like, you know, I always say, that each season feels compacted into itself and we need to kind of stretch the seasons and like meld them into each other. And when you, you know, when you're playing the playoffs and you already know your uh, home opener the next year that, you know, that stretches the seasons into each other. 
Yeah. Well, let's do a little bit more looking back before we take a break and then do more looking forward because we love to look back and and critique. Like, let's look, let's look at the playoffs. This was the first time we had six teams in the playoffs. And I know that, you know, you're a staunch defender of there shouldn't be more than half of the teams um, advancing. No, I hate it. But hate I do it. like that our playoffs lasted more than the window of one week, right? Where it's like semifinals, finals, it's over. I liked that you had four teams that were able to get um, a home playoff game out of it, right? And who knows, maybe maybe that's part of the uh, the increase in in ticket sales for the playoffs too. You had a longer buildup from the end of the regular season to to the final. Um, but you know, I'm glad it's six. I hope it stays at six. It shouldn't go to eight anytime soon. Um, nope, but, I, but, 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 but I like six and that, that there was really a reason to fight for one and two and even a reason to fight for three and four. I think if you take the playoffs in a bubble, they were great. I think all five games were good in their own way. Um, you know, the worst of the games was probably Red Stars Gotham, and that was a one nothing game. Best of them, probably uh, Spirit and Courage. But I thought the final was very good as well. I thought it was important that the Red Stars scored first. So if you take this, those playoff games, they were great. Do I like six out of ten making it? No, I you know I don't. You know, the, I mean, you know, for the Courage to say, well, we still made the playoffs. Well, yeah, but you were in the bottom half of the league. Yeah. So I don't love it. Now, look, you go to twelve as we do next season, and you get half the teams making it, and it's a fairly big disadvantage, I think, to be five and six have to win two on the road in order to get to the final, which is probably not in your home venue. You know, I can live with it. Um, and let's face it, we are a playoff based sports culture in the United States. And, you know, I never understand it because I feel like the end of the regular season when you're trying to get into the playoffs should be good enough to attract people, but it does seem like it's actual playoff games that get attention and whatnot, even if we're not, you know, we're not quite at the point, you know, where, hey, you know, you know, like an NFL team can make the playoffs at any moment. You could probably play the game at three o'clock in the morning and they would sell their place out. We're not quite right. there in NWSL, but I still think, you know, we're excited to have made the playoffs. I know the Red Stars were particularly pleased that they made the top four because it was their sixth straight playoff appearance, but they didn't have to like put an asterisk on it because Yeah. And getting that and getting that home game. Yep, exactly. So yeah, I hate six out of ten, although it was certainly exciting because of how tight it was this season. But no, six out of ten, that's a no thank you from me. Well, and one one more question for you, Dan, um, you know, because, of course, th- this is not a let's rehash all the horrible things that happened this season or all the news that came out. But I do want to point out um, the hiring of Marla Messing as interim CEO for the league. And, of course, we know she's got a lot of things to work on, a lot of messes to clean up, um, which is probably why we don't have, you know, a lot of schedule information yet for 2022, yep. but that's when I saw that announcement that I, I breathed a sigh of relief of like, okay, we're bringing in someone who has done this before, you know, here's the person that fought FIFA to make sure that the 1999 women's world cup was 
nationwide in big stadiums and treated like a big event, not forced into little college stadiums only on the, you know, Northeast part of the the U S you know, a lawyer obviously knows the game gets entertainment, you know, like that without knowing her personally, right. And without having seen work recently, because she did take um, a lot of time off to be a mom. Like I, I feel like that's the right kind of choice. Is yeah, someone who's her, someone who's from from soccer and from this level of soccer. I mean, what I will say, you know, as kind of a reflection on this year, is that it's hard to trust your instinct anymore. When yes, you think somebody is the right <laughs> choice. But that aside, yeah, I think Marla Messing is a good choice um, in asking her if she is going to be a candidate for the permanent position. She hasn't said no which probably means that she wants to be. And I think that will be ultimately more important, but maybe she's like the Sam lady of the NWSL, you know, that bridge (laughs) coach that kind of got the rain put back together in time for Laura Harvey to get there, you know, and take the reins and send them into that number two seed. You know, hopefully Marla Messing can get things stabilized and, you know, either take over the role permanently or hand it over to somebody else at some point, hopefully, you know, in the not too distant future and get things figured out and start to move forward. I do still think there are concerning, there's things that I still see are concerning. You know, she wouldn't commit, and this is not a reflection on her specifically, but she wouldn't commit to the transparency of releasing the information that all these many investigations are eventually going to turn up. Um, and I still just don't get the feeling from the league that they, that they've woken up and realized that, Hey, the more information we give everybody, the better off everybody is. I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't feel like the light bulb has gone off yet in the league office. I think that's a good, that's a good way to say it. Cause I, I feel like we're making progress, you know, and a lot of the stuff that's come out this year, it's, you know, just kind of a backlog of issues that have had to be dealt with. Um, and we're not done. And, and that's why I like how you, you said this could be the, you know, most transitional off season that, that we've had. Yep. All right. So let's take a quick break and then we will come back and we will talk looking forward. We'll stop complaining about things in the past and we will complain about things that should happen in the future. Time for a little gensplaining. Topic this time is the LA and San Diego double expansion draft. This one's going to be a little different from the Louisville expansion draft from last fall, since, of course, we've got two teams. Um, So a lot of it's been modified. uh, And we still don't know yet who picks first. Um, That apparently there's going to be a coin toss later this week to decide who picks first. So bottom line, each current NWSL club can protect nine players. That's fewer than they can protect from last year. Only one of those nine can be a U.S. allocated player. And that allocated player is based on their 2021 status. So anyone who was announced at the start of the 2021 season as a USA allocation still counts as a USA allocation. 
And anyone who's on contract with an NWSL club, even if they're on loan, or if their rights are held by a club, including 2021 draftees, or Louisville holding Tobin Heath's rights, or anyone who just retired, the club will hold their rights for a brief period. Each club has to decide if those players will be protected or unprotected. And if they're unprotected, they are eligible to be selected in the draft. So LA and San Diego each get to pick nine players. Um, Keep in mind that Louisville has complete protection from LA in the expansion draft due to the, the trade for Christian Press's rights. And Kansas City has complete protection from both clubs as part of their deal for joining the league in 2021. But this is a tradable asset. Um, be really interested. interesting if they trade that at the last minute. Um, so at this, but at this point, Kansas City, they don't have to worry about the, the draft at all. Louisville, you know, only has to worry about uh, having players taken by San Diego. And no team can lose more than two players. And these teams can only pick one U.S. national team player each. So in, in the second part of the chat with Dan that's coming up, you'll hear us talk about who each team's going to protect and who we think the available players will be. And of course, keep in mind, this was recorded before the Sam U.S. trade to Kansas City. So... December 10th, we'll know who is protected and unprotected for each club. Uh, December 16th is the expansion draft. It will be shown live on Paramount Plus from L.A. and on Twitch internationally. So everybody will be able to watch. I'm sure there's going to be some some trades, more trades between now and then. Uh, But it should be pretty exciting. Jen Cooper back with Dan LaLetta. Now we're going to talk Ndebusel looking forward instead of looking back. We've got a lot. This is the weirdest offseason ever. We already already called it the most transitional, but it's also just really weird, Dan. Um, We have an expansion draft, but an expansion draft for two clubs. We have a college draft happening before Christmas. And Almost every club, not every club, almost every club has a new coach or will have a new coach. So we even have clubs without coaches that like, you know, for my broadcast draft prep, I can't even call the coach and ask him what he or she is thinking because (laughs) who knows who the coach is. That being said, we we just had some official announcements uh, for a couple clubs today. Well, Rianne Wilkinson uh, is the new coach in Portland. That was not a very well-kept secret. Somebody, and I apologize to whoever it is, that was reported a week or so ago. And uh, the equalizer, not to pat you know my organization on the back, but reported and not official as of this recording that Amanda Cromwell will take the Orlando pride job. I think that's worth delving into individually a little bit. But I think it's more we'll have new coaches that is interesting because, you know, the Thorns were the first team that knew they would need a new coach because this goes all the way back to to the spring, end of, end of May, when yeah. Mark Parsons announced he was leaving, but they got it together. But the Red Stars don't have a coach. Louisville doesn't have a coach. 
Um, you know, we think Orlando's got a coach, and I'm sure things are in motion there. Um, Kansas City, Hugh Williams is not going to be the coach. They haven't even announced that. So they don't have a coach. Uh, the Cards don't have an official coach. It's not even official as of the time we're recording that Chris Ward will be back with the Washington Spirit, which I think is more of a reflection of the unstable ownership situation there than it is anything that he did or didn't do. Wait, he is or he won't? Well, he's... Or we don't know. His contract is up at the end of the calendar year. Okay. So I guess he's at least good to run the expansion draft and the college draft, but there's no decision made about that, which is unbelievable considering what he's done. But again, I think that's more of nobody knows who's making the decision or, you know, as opposed to somebody looked at what he did and is not happy with it and thinks maybe he shouldn't be the coach. But yeah, the expansion draft is coming up in less than three weeks. And then you've got the college draft coming up a couple days after that. You know, it's time to get going on this stuff. And, you know, there were a couple of years, I think the Rapids one year in MLS hired their coach. They had a they had the week one bye, and they hired their head coach like in between week one and two of the regular season. But the difference is that those teams, and I'm not saying that was a good idea, but those teams have like soccer ops departments, like their soccer operations departments run, you know, multiple people deep. They've, they've without, got they've got scouts, they've got analysts, right. they've got without, interns, they've got bodies to do a lot of research, and it's a lot of research. I have to do this a, for the broadcast, and I'm only doing it on the surface. It's a ton of research, and it's also not research that is, you know, like um, anecdotally available. Like I don't watch college football, but I can probably name to you five or ten people that are going to get picked in the first round just because I'm around it, but. You know, you don't see and hear these things as well. Maybe you do if you're more inner circle, but it's not, it doesn't jump off the page at you like who's a good, um, you know, college prospect to come into the NWSL. And, you know, without Rory Dames in Chicago, I know he had assistant coaches, but, like, who's running the soccer department right now for the Red Stars with a couple of weeks to go? You know, who's running the show for the, the Courage? I guess have Charlie Namo at least, who I think does a lot of the player acquisitions. But who's running the soccer department for Louisville? Who's running the soccer department for, you know, Orlando until Amanda Cromwell gets there? Because Amanda Duffy just got let go earlier this week. So it's very, very unusual, and it would be interesting to kind of monitor who does better. And one thing for Kansas City, by the way, is that Hugh Williams will still be with the team, so it's not like he's uninvolved. He's, so he's, he's just transitioning to something right. like technical director. Right. So basically his role for the drafts coming up would probably be the same whether he's coaching the team or not. So I just want to make that distinction. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, are these teams that don't have coaches in place, you know, how much worse do they emerge from the month of December um, than we think they might because yeah it's it's time to get moving it is time to get moving (laughs) well and having two drafts basically just a day with a day between them so we have the expansion draft first right and this is something that you know the the teams have known about for a long time right like there was a chance that it would have been a double expansion draft last year right Um, correct so so this is something I think all the teams have been planning for in one way or another, whether it was 
who they were adding to their rosters, what draft picks they were taking, even though those picks wouldn't be on board till 2022, whose who's discovery rights they have, um, how they re-sign players. Like you look at um, Crystal Dunn and Lindsey Horan, they were not U.S. allocations for Portland this year. They signed direct contracts with Portland, uh, which means that Portland can protect them. Yep. They can protect them both and protect Sauerbrunner Smith, right? Like, like that. There, there's a lot of long-term planning that has come with the expansion drafts. The college draft, on the other hand, first, you know, we had it. It was weird this year that because of the NCAA exception, players, you know, they could still play uh, this fall. So you have players playing right now that have already been selected. Right. Um, and the league made it pretty clear last year, as confusing as this may sound, um, anybody who was eligible for last year's draft is not eligible for this year's draft. Their plan was that you can only be eligible for one draft. They didn't want players picking and choosing what draft they went into. Right. So if you were someone last year who, if COVID hadn't have happened, you would have been coming out of college you were eligible for that draft, whether you declared or not. The only people that had to declare were the ones that were, you know, younger than normal, like a Trinity Rodman or Brana Pinto, who hadn't finished their college elig- eligibility that were saying, yeah, I'm ready to go pro now. Right. So this, so this year, this draft coming up, you do have to declare again. And as, as long as you weren't already part of that pool last year, right? And that might be a little confusing for, for fans because they might see players that played this fall that they did not see get drafted last January. But those players, since they were eligible last January, became free agents the second that that draft was over. So they there's actually different movement that can go on. So you've got that complication. And then you have the fact that we're holding the draft about three weeks earlier. Um, and I know this is in part because since, you know, our preseason has tended to start earlier, you know, the clubs were, were looking at, you know, more planning time. Selfishly, I like that it means that once a draft is over, I can have a very relaxing Christmas vacation as opposed to stressing about that in two weeks, the draft is coming. It also means that we miss out on the fun of everybody meeting up at the, um, you know, United Soccer Coaches Convention and, you know, the 2022 convention is in Kansas city, right? Like how much fun would that have been? Yeah. I hope this is a one-off or a two-off, I guess. Yeah. Last year there was no convention this year. I'm not exact. I'm not going, so I'm not, I haven't looked into it a lot, but I don't know if it's going to be a full blown convention, but that is really such a fabulous event and brings a lot of attention to the league. And it brings a lot of, media to the league who are there for other reasons. Right. I do hope once all these media, all these players, all these people all in the same place at the same time for about two or three days. Yeah. It's great. Once the convention goes back to normal, that the draft goes back to normal. I know one of the reasons I heard floated around was that players needed more time to adapt and get ready to go to their club markets uh, that's nonsense i mean you know so maybe the draftees come in a week later but you know mls there don't mls training camps start, i know they kind of stopped doing their draft at the convention I, anyway but don't there weren't they there still years do a where, combine like yeah weren't the years like, where training camp was underway while the draft was happening or like a day or two later 
Probably, probably. I do like the idea that um, by kind of bypassing the Christmas holidays, like I always notice because because I would get the preliminary registration list, like no one registered between December twentieth and January second. I know, and for whatever reason, right? the league always puts out the list in in you know in dribs and drabs, so everyone panics. Yeah. Even though you know, for someone like me who's a you know a, you know I would do anything I could possibly do at the last minute, at the last minute. So never phase me, but you know, like, Oh goodness, you know, uh, you know, Andy Sullivan or Tina Davidson haven't declared yet. And there's five days to go. It doesn't matter how many, you know, when you do it, as long as you do it in time. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see, you know, if there's a shortage this year, if players don't realize it, I mean, they should, but it hasn't been like super well promoted. I don't think by the league just yet. So that that part will be interesting, and um, well, you know, I'm sure gonna... there's a lot of let's call it internal promotion of these various coaches. Well, see, we don't have the coaches, but okay, exactly. um, I, I bet there's like there will be some phone calls throwing around, right? Like it was interesting when I interviewed Vanessa Kara a few weeks back, and that she said going into her draft that you know she was told by her college coach that there had been phone calls, so she went to the draft thinking she was you know going to get picked. Mm-hmm. You know. Our... Now, can we get back to Amanda Cromwell for a minute? Sure. Because it's not common for college coaches to give up uh, what you would figure are very secure deals, right? Now, I don't know, Amanda Cromwell is what, maybe 50 years old? Yeah, especially, and I I was going to say, especially at her age, because when Randy Waldrum left Notre Dame to come to Dash, he was at least eight, nine, ten years older. Right, but he was the only one that ever really did that. Right, right, that theory. yeah. Like she could be the coach there for the next 20 years, right? Like it would take yeah. something extreme for her to be fired from that position, right? Yeah. And she, the, she you know, and all the, the revenue that comes from the camps and, and everything that doesn't necessarily exist, you know, at the clubs yet. And Hey, if you have a bad season in NWSL, you know, your job's on the line. We've seen coaches, you know, like, make the NCAA tournament for 10 years straight, then don't make it. And there's no consequence, right? And I'm not saying there necessarily has to be a consequence, but compared to other major sports at schools, generally when the performance falls down, you do see a coaching changeover. And we do not see that much in, in soccer. Right. I mean, Becky Burley, honestly, for as much as she accomplished at Florida, if you look at her career there, the arc kind of goes downward over the years. But she's just remembered because she, A, she won the national title once. So that's all it takes is to do it one time. And you're a national championship coach. And she was there for a lot of years and coached a lot of great players, notably Abby Wambach. Had a lot of wins and was in the tournament a lot of times. But, I just, you know, her wins and losses wise anyway were much better earlier than later but here's another thing about Cromwell she also national championship coach uh, you know for those old people like us we remember her on the national team and know why they call her Sal um, <laughs> and that she played she played for three different WSA clubs yep and it was very good I might add in all those spots but 2015 NWSL draft she was the coach of UCLA the second, third, and fourth picks were Sarah Waldmo, uh, Abby Dahlkemper, and Sam Mewis, who were two of those four flash first-round picks we talked about earlier. Later in that draft, Caprice Didasco, Caitlin Rowland, and Megan Oyster all played for Amanda Cromwell. 
all still playing in the league, all pretty good. All six have played in NWSL championship matches. So, you know, Amanda Cromwell knows a little bit about the types of players that it takes to get into this league. So, but the weird, th- the weird thing is, I, I don't want to ruin your beautiful stat. She didn't recruit a single one of those players. Okay, didn't recruit them. You're right, but coached yeah. them all, and but, they but, were all on clearly, the national championship yeah. team. But but to me, the fact that that they're all still in the league speaks volumes, not only about who recruited them, but about her being their coach. Right. And she coached them. So she should have some, you know, level of appreciation for the type of player that she'll encounter when she gets to the pros. I think, you know, I don't know a lot about her coaching style at UCLA, but I think hires like this are good because they move the needle a little bit. And I hope she does great with it. Well, it's like you were saying about transitional time. It's like, we have to start seeing coaches making the jump from college to the pros. Um, You know, the interesting thing I think about the whole kind of coaching roster being blown up this season is, okay, we've completely destroyed the coaching carousel of NWSL of, you know, Paul Riley leaves Portland and goes to Western New York Flash. Parsons leaves Spirit and goes to Portland. You know, Gabera leaves Sky Blue, goes to Washington. You know, that that carousel's gone. Yeah, we've so, kicked most of these coaches right yeah, off the carousel. Yeah, so, uh, and there's not even, there's been so many that have left, there's not even anywhere that they can, you know, there's no Orlando coach to go somewhere else, right? Because we had a lot of interims to, fi- to finish the season. So I'm so excited to see what it brings in, you know, especially, you know, it should be a heavily female crew, not necessarily all female, but it's like, if you, there's plenty of people out there. This is the time. And I hope to see, you know, coaches like Amanda Cromwell willing to make that jump of like, Hey, I could stay here at UCLA for another 15 years, you know, or I could, I could, you know, have a new challenge. I, I love Portland's hire of Rianne Wilkinson. Um, she's done really good stuff, you know, not nearly the experience of Cromwell, right. But her experience so far has been excellent. What she did with the Canada U twenties. Um, and also that it's another player who's, who's played in the league, right? Yep, definitely. And you know, no pressure on Amanda Cromwell here, but the way sports executives tend to work, if she does well, then next year, you know, owners will look into the college ranks for right. the coaches. If she doesn't do well, then that could set back owners trying to get college coaches, and then consequently it could set back college coaches being willing to go pro. Because you're still going to get plenty of college coaches that just don't want any part of the pro game for a variety yeah. of reasons, but it's nice to see somebody leaving a job that, unless there's something we don't know about, like legitimately has job security for the rest of her working life. If she wants yeah. it, and let's be honest, if she has a great run in Orlando, what is that, maybe seven or eight years? Possibly, yeah. we don't know because we haven't seen, uh, you know, we haven't seen, you know, a, a league that's lasted long enough. But look at MLS. I guess Peter Vermees has been around since 2009, but even the good coaches there, you know, they come and go pretty quickly. You can't last forever. Nope. <laughs> you, you, you cannot. Well, and then we've got, you know, um, you know, we haven't talked a lot about the expansion. I don't know. Well, let's call it, let's just call it the expansion mess, right? We won't know till December 10th 
who the teams have protected. And they can only protect nine players this time. Only one of those nine can be a current U.S. allocation. It doesn't matter about someone's status next year. It's current. So that even, I, I think it's so weird because it means that, you know, Ashlyn Harris, Ali Krieger count, they both count as allocated players, though, right? Clearly, they're not in the plans for 2022. So there's all kind of weird little hiccups like that. Um, and that we've never had an expansion draft in NWSL where you've got two teams picking. We've got Louisville protected from the Angel City can't pick anything from Louisville because of them trading press's rights. And right, but San Diego Kansas City. Yeah, San Diego still hand. And then Kansas City, they got protection. They're not um, in it at all. They're not in it at all, but that is a tradable asset. Right, which I assume has to be done by this Friday, right? Because the trade window closes Friday? Yes. Yeah, so December 3rd is trade window closes. If you're waiving anybody, you have to, that's like you have to finalize your roster um, so that. You know, we know who's on contract, whose rights are held, who's on loan, all of that kind of stuff. That's a huge um, asset for Kansas City. That's a huge asset. I don't think – I mean, they've got a sort of deep roster, but I don't think there's anybody 10th and beyond in Kansas City that you can't afford to lose. But if you look at a team like the Red Stars or the Courage, you know, maybe Gotham, those teams might be willing to give you something to not – lose anything additional to two, not one, but two expansion teams. And there's no pullback mechanism this year either. So you're losing players 10 and 11, not 10 and 12. Right. right? You don't get the right. pull a player back once you lose one. The only thing is you can only they lose didn't get, one. They didn't, get, they didn't get to pull a player back last year either. But they um, only lost. Oh, no, but you're if, right. But if, right. but if you lost a national teamer, that was your only loss. That doesn't matter this year. You right. can still lose two. Right. But you can only lose one national team. Right. Player. Now, there's interesting dynamics in place because I think there's no chance to pride protect Harris or Krieger. That's like there's no need. There's to, no need to. Right. Because that's like, and I dare you to do this because, you know, they're married. They just had a baby. They're not leaving. They'll Orlando, retire. And they're certainly yeah. not. And they're certainly not, you know, splitting up in terms of where they play soccer especially Orlando to California. So there's no yeah. reason to protect them. But who do the Red Stars protect? I think it's probably has to be Pew, right? But again, that leaves Kruger, Ertz, Nayer all out there. Like, you know, Nayer's a good goalkeeper. Do you want to waste that pick on Nayer when you can probably get a decent goalkeeper without using the expansion draft pick and you can otherwise take Kruger or Ertz? Right, right. That's why right? it's like... For most of the clubs, it's really easy to figure out who they're going to protect. For Chicago, I guess it's not who they're going to protect so much as, like, what do L.A. and San Diego do, right? So, because there's not – there, there's pretty slim pickings among the other teams after their, after their protected players. Yeah, I haven't sat down and, and gone see. through the list, but – Oh, I, I have. Be... Let me tell you. Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you. Yeah, so – Dash have just two players, right? So they only they're only going to protect one. And you know, my feeling is you're going to protect the younger one and not protect the one that you know looks like she wants to be elsewhere, right? Okay. Kansas Kansas City only has one. They protect French. Gotham only has one. They protect Purse. Carolina's got two. I'm thinking 
you're protecting Sam Newis. So, you know, Lynn Williams, Absolutely. Hey, maybe, maybe Absolutely. she gets, maybe she gets to go to, uh, you know, back to Southern California, you know, like we said about Orlando, you're not going to protect Harris or Krieger. You protect Morgan rain. But, but I, I think, think this rain think in Portland it, are the tricky ones. I think even if Harrison Krieger were your only two, you don't protect either one of them, but yeah, you know, yeah. Morgan obviously makes it an easier call. Yeah. So for the rain, you've got Lavelle and Rapino. Well, you, you have to protect Lavelle. You got to protect the younger one. You know, unless you're trying to do some trade or something, right? Kind of the same thing with with the Thorns. I, I would feel like you protect Smith and Sauerbrunn is a. I dare you to take this 36 year old player that would probably just say, "Screw you, I retire." <laughs> or if you know, if she doesn't, you get her for a year or two. Yeah, or you work you work something out. Louisville uh-huh. has none. You know, um, now the spirit, they've got Sullivan O'Hara sonnet. I'm thinking you protect Sullivan again. You protect the youngest. Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not as big an Emily sonnet fan as some others. Yeah. But O'Hara is also an idea to take her because she orchestrated the trade there because she wanted to be there. She just won the title. And she does, and she does have injury issues. She does have injury issues. So, I, I mean, are you really taking Kelly O'Hara? At this point, if you're yeah. an expansion team, I yeah. don't. So that's why I, I look at Emily Sonnet and Lynn Williams and someone from uh, Chicago as like your most attractive picks, right? If you protect Mallory Pugh at Chicago, well then, oh my God, Tiana Davidson would be a great pick. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Rapino's not going anywhere either, by the way. So she's in the Krieger-Harris yeah. 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 It's like, why, again, why would you pick the 36 year old that's at the end of her career that has had some injury issues and is, you know, going to use all the power at her disposal to not, to not go. It's, it's right. like, now, Hey, if you're, if you're building a franchise again, like don't do, don't do the rain thing and bring in three great players just for six months. You want someone for the long haul. All right. Now isn't Sauerbrunn on the Australia trip? Yes. So does that maybe tip us off that she wants to give it a go for twenty three, twenty four? Oh, I, I'm not. I'm not saying she would actually say "screw you, I retire." But I'm saying like that. I'm sure there are behind the scenes discussions if there was anything, anyone interested in taking her, where she's like, you know, she's got enough weight, right? In the way that some players don't be like, no, right. we got to work out something else, right? We we know that there's traded there. Yeah, we know that there's like I, I know there were MLS expansion drafts where the teams would negotiate another trade with the understanding that so that then you don't take this player. Right. But then there was also you know? the Brian, the Brian Ching fiasco. Where oh, that was so stupid. That was so stupid. They really thought that yeah. he wasn't going and they thought they yeah. could convince him. And did they trade yeah. him back eventually? Yes. Yes. But it went yes. on for a lot longer than it should have. Yeah. He actually, Brian Ching had to report for practice at Montreal. So there are pictures of him in a Montreal thing. And I know we're, we're getting a really obscure for women's soccer podcast. Um, but well, yeah, there, there's, there's really only, you know, four or five players that are actually in play. Yeah, and when, you, when we look at two that, you know, okay, we already know San Diego's Dahl Kemper, LA has press, you know, at least, that's right. you know, now, what they're going to start to build around. Louisville has to protect Tobin Heath? If they want to retain her rights, but yes. But if not, she would be eligible to be picked. Her so her rights would be eligible, yeah. So and that's, again, that's that's tradable asset too, right? Like, I, I feel like, you know, what if Louisville says, hey, San Diego, we'll trade you these rights, you know, and 
or protection, you know, or something like that, but get some other pieces, but get some other pieces from it. Right. Like you give us some allocation money and you don't pay. Yeah. Except in San Diego could just pick her off that team unless LA, I guess. No, no, no. I'm saying like, yeah, like that's, that's the kind of thing that they can negotiate. Right. Like maybe, maybe what I'm saying is that you trade her, you trade them her rights before the draft. And in exchange, LA says, okay, or sorry, San Diego says, we're not taking anybody from you and we're giving you some allocation money. Right. So they'll still lose somebody to LA, but they don't lose Tobin to LA and they got more for Tobin than if they had left her unprotected and she was taken. I can see that being a possibility. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, and, and that's the challenge for all the. Yeah, it's it's that's the challenge for all these these clubs is negotiating. You've got the two clubs to negotiating, and also the hey, do I try to negotiate a trade now and get more for a player, or do they get picked and I get nothing? Right. Like, like going back to the classic expansion draft trade in 2015 before the Orlando expansion draft, Houston was sitting on three national teamers. You could only protect two. Randy Waldrum said, I'm protecting Carly Lloyd and I'm protecting right. Morgan Bryan. She's the young star, which left Megan Klingenberg, the odd player, out. But they traded. So Dash traded Klingenberg to the rain, getting a draft pick that became Rachel Daly and Amber Brooks. And then rain what traded Kling to Orlando to get the, it was, it was a whole complicated piece, but, but, but bottom line for Houston, it meant that they got something. They got two solid players when they lost a national teamer, as opposed to if Kling went in the, in the draft, they get nothing. I think the rain agreed to not protect Klingenberg and then Orlando agreed to trade her to Portland after they picked her. Yeah. It was a very complicated. Yeah. But so bottom line, Kling Houston ended up rain in Portland. Pride, yeah, Houston Rain Pride Thorns all in about yeah. a week's time. And she's been pretty good pretty good there in Portland since she got there. Yeah. I remember she was really pissed, too, because she felt it like would reduce her her value. And it's like, no, you clearly have tradable value. You know, yeah, there's for, there, there's always sure. those players that fall. It's, it's, it's like, okay, you're right beneath the no way in hell can I trade her. But... You've got a, you know, Houston got a lot for you because you were that valuable. Yeah, very true. But you know, you know, like you say, the two-team expansion draft will make things quite a bit different. And I do think the um, the value of future draft picks maybe is not as high as it used to be. Right. So especially with now twelve picks instead of where it used to be, even you know, eight or nine, you know, a first-round pick and... is a bit different. And there's two additional picks. Uh, I don't know if we were that, going that, there, yeah. Yeah, well, WPS style. Yeah, so each team gets each new team gets one more. So we will have a 50 player draft. So last year was a 40 player draft. This is a 50 player draft. Well, so let's minimize the timeouts this year and get. Yes, yeah, suffice to say, things must run a much much quicker. <laughs> Yeah, that, fingers crossed. That would certainly yeah. be one timeout per pick. Like it doesn't, you know, like Gotham can't call a timeout and then have the Spirit call a timeout. And no breaks, no breaks between, um, no breaks between rounds. 
Like we did 10 yeah, minute breaks when you're out, like don't, don't need that at all. Like no way. But all right. Take well, one we break in the middle. Fine. But no, I yeah. no breaks between rounds. All right. Well, we talked long enough, so I'll, I'll give you time for, for one more thought. Um, you know, what's, what's the one thing that you want to see in, in 2022, whether it's a, a big change, an improvement, What's one thing Andy Russell has to has to do in 2022 to, to please Dan Laletta? Boy, I mean, for me personally, it is, you know, this is like nobody wants to hear the media whine, but there's just got to be better responsiveness from teams and the league to people like me, and then that'll help bring in more important people that can help get more eyes on the game and, and writing about the game and other, you know, media about the game. Um, but, you know, I really think they need to figure out how to get beyond the culture. You know, I don't, I don't want to dwell on it, but, you know, the Paul Riley, Rory Dames, Christy Holly kind of culture. Um, and, and I don't mean that, you know, there's never going to be another coach in the league that, that does bad things because there probably is, but it's the way that it gets handled. And honestly, if you look at the way, uh, racing Louisville handled the Christy Holly thing. You know, something happened, and boom, he was out the door. And they gone. Yeah, didn't say what he did, but they said he was fired for cause. You know, you look and you know it's amazing. I named how many coaches, and I we haven't mentioned Richie Burke yet. You know, Burke goes out, and it's going to be a medical thing, and then. You know, then there's an investigation, and then it takes a little while before they actually fire him, right? So, you know, it's again, it's not about the fact that, or you know, in Burke's case, I know he already had a history. You know, there's so many different layers that you can peel back here. But I've said it a million times on your podcast and elsewhere, just figuring out how to better utilize information. You know, when the Red Stars put out a midnight press release that the only coach they've ever had since this league has been going is leaving a day and a half after the final, and there's a quote attributable to nobody in the press release. Like, that is a bad look. Like, that just screams amateur. You know, the league website, and I know some people who work on the league website, and they work harder than it seems like they do, but the recaps of games on the website, it would would be better. The website would look better without them than with some of the stuff that they actually churn out and pass off as game recaps. You know, take yourself seriously. You want to be treated seriously, take yourself seriously. And, you know, these last two years were years of, you know, protests and, you know, social reforms and all that. And that's all great. But let's not forget that the reason that the NWSL and its teams are in a position to do these things is because it's a soccer league. So let's really focus on the soccer, you know, with, you know, the other things can, can happen as well, but let's focus on the soccer and let's well, and try just having to cur- current info. Like I should be able to go to the website and see who's currently on each roster. So I can see who's active, who's on loan, who's not. I can it's like see a lot to ask, but it shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, that playoff goals should not be added to regular season. Cause right now, if you look at Ashley Hatch's goals, it says she has 11. And you might hear, oh, she had 10. She was a golden boot. You're like, wait, why does it show 11? Right? There, there's a lot of missing information. Um, and, of course, we've talked about this before, that clearly the league didn't exist for the three years that we watched them play because none of that is on the website. You know, there's no way to go to the website 
and go, oh, who was the champion in 2020? Who was the champion in 2019? You know, what is the challenge cup? That that yep. kind of thing. I also um, would very much like to see that I completely just lost my train of thought here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Website, press releases, PR um, reps. Oh, I also would very much like to see a little bit more information about the points that the NWSLPA demanded and that the league claims that they addressed or acquiesced to or agreed to because they're kind of vague. And if you think about the step-back policy, there's like 10 people in the league that need to be on suspension immediately, and we haven't heard about it. So I'm sure they weren't taken exactly word for word the way they were written. But again, you can't just run Marla Messing up in front of the media at the final and say we're taking steps to work with the PA to be better and more transparent. You actually have to tell people how this is happening. And, you know, I am certain that Marla Messing and, or, and people around the league knew on Friday that there was something going on with Rory Dames that might come out in an article on Monday. So, you know, again, it, you know, we're in this world now of social media statements and, and you know, you know, I can judge your character based on, you know, whether you're standing or kneeling during the national anthem, but it's, you know, how about how you actually conduct yourself? And I want, you know, I think people want to know what is actually going on between the league and the players. And I just don't feel like either side has really been forthcoming enough yet about, about what that is. So I'd like to know more about the league accepting the, the players' plans for moving forward after, that they put out after the Riley thing. And getting the CBA, and we actually get bullets of what's oh, in the CBA. About How about that? About yeah, there's just so much. So there's... I'll cut it off here because, yeah, we've definitely covered as much as we can cover with, you know, without going too long, but we're, we're getting pretty close. But Dan, of course, as always, thank you for taking the time to chat with me, and thanks for all your coverage of women's soccer for all these 20 years, old man. Let's see if we can get to 21. Time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, we have the NCAA College Cup this weekend in Santa Clara, California. The semifinal matchups are Rutgers versus Florida State and BYU versus defending champion Santa Clara playing at home. This is BYU's first ever trip to the Final Four and just the second trip for Rutgers. Santa Clara, Florida State, they've been here many, many times. Santa Clara has two titles all-time. Florida State has two titles all-time. The semifinals are Friday afternoon, early evening on ESPNU, and then the final is Sunday evening on ESPNU. If you don't have ESPNU, I highly recommend uh, checking out YouTube TV or Fubo TV. Even if you don't have those services, you can do a free trial. That's probably your best access. Um, Keep in mind, ESPN Plus, if you subscribe to that, you still can't get access to anything on ESPNU unless you have cable authentication. It's really annoying. It's really stupid. But keep that in mind that ESPN Plus is not uh, a shortcut to getting ESPNU. Drives me freaking crazy. Anyway, moving on. Number two 
And number three, we've got two dates that you have to have on your soccer calendar that we've talked a lot about in this episode. Anibisel Expansion Draft for Angel City and San Diego Wave on Thursday, December 16th in L.A., And then two days later, Saturday, December 18th, the college draft will also be in L.A. Both will be shown live around the world for all the Woso fans. Last but not least, my almanacs. Of course, I'll be working on the 2021 updated Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac. That should be out by the end of January. But short term, if you haven't already seen it, I produced a NWSL Championship Almanac that has... Photos, stats, player registry, records, all kinds of great stuff from just the eight NWSL regular season championship games. Um, That and my previous almanacs, all available for sale at keepernotes.com. Just click store. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Omen Soccer Podcast. Thanks so much to everyone who listens, who tweets about it, who shares with a friend, who sends me an email with a question. Love that stuff. Um, Thanks also to Roughneck Scars and IcarusFC.com. Thanks so much to my producer, Sean, who puts this together every episode. And, of course, big thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting this podcast. But now she's anybody's girl.